Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here, we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like personal growth in motherhood and relationships, awareness of the ego versus the soul, the voice of fear versus intuition, We discuss what it looks like to step into your power and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I'm obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and their babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is about women taking radical responsibility for their life, shedding victimhood for good. So today we have Sarah and I hope we laugh a lot because she's a friend of mine that brings out my inner jokester self. We've already been laughing a lot. I hope I hope that this episode is like that because that's true authenticity between us, but that's you especially. Because I was thinking about something I love to think about is when I'm with different relationships with different friends or siblings, we're different in these different relationships. We might be more bold and assertive in one relationship and then might, we might be more timid in another. And with you, you're so funny that you just bring out my inner jokester. And I love it so much because I can be like serious and so deep, but with you, it's just so light. So this episode is probably like, there's some dark parts, mm-hmm. you know, cause OBGYN, like you go to an, an appointment, but you're probably going to laugh through it because it's your way of storytelling is with humor, lightness, joking energy. And that's just you. And to me, that's the beauty of you. And so I hope, I mean, I mean, it's going to, you're probably going to laugh at dark moments and that's just, it's just (laughs) how it goes. I know it is. But in the moment it was, you know, serious and it affected you and it impacted you, which is why. I want you telling your story because the interesting thing about you is that you're a doctor. I am a doctor. You're a vet and you, for your first birth, had a home birth, which is unique because you weren't like, I want the hospital for a practice run. No. No. So let's do a little intro on you. You can say, I don't know, where you're from, a little husband, little child in your life. (laughs) Uh, My name's Sarah. I'm originally from the East Coast. I think the most, probably the coolest thing about me is that I'm a mother. Um, I, now I live in Arizona. I hang out with Leah generally once a week, (laughs) if we can. Uh, Sometimes it's it's not as, not as close. Um, I moved here in 2015, uh, and I planned on living here for just a year for work, and I met my husband within two weeks of living here. My relationship with my husband is really interesting to me because we, when we met, we both felt very differently about our futures. Um, He never wanted to get married or was never interested in having children, and I 
told him, you know, that I did want to get married and I was definitely going to have children in the future, but we had such a connection so quickly that we stayed together and now we are married and we have a child. (laughs) (laughs) It just, I can't believe that my life worked out this way. So how many years was it between when you guys met and then you got married? We met in 2015. I think we were engaged in 2019. Okay. Married in 2020. And then our daughter was born in 2022. Genevieve. Genevieve. So this is the story of Genevieve. Yeah, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the person you were before her, that's mainly what this story is. Because then we're going to say your home birth. You are going to, obviously. But the lead up to Genevieve's conception probably is that you discovered free birth. I did. I discovered free birth probably in like 2017, 2018. And it was a very weird intro, probably the same story for a lot of people. But the way that I even heard about free birth was, okay, another thing about me is that I'm a power lifter or I, I mean, I haven't competed <laughs> since 2019, but I'm formerly was competitive. Um, I saw on the internet that another power lifter who was kind of big in the community, she was advertising online that she was going to not only birth at home, but do a free birth. And I was like, and she was going to record it and post it on the internet. And my initial thought, and I feel so bad about this now, but my initial thought was, this is not going to work. And I'm going to watch this not work. Like I'm going to watch. You're going to watch I'm baby so, die. I'm so interested or not. not no, God, that's so morbid. <laughs> But I, there's just no way she could do this. This is so crazy. And I'm immediately hooked. And like, I have to follow her story now. Ooh, you're kind of hooked from the drama. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course. Love it. Love the drama. So uh, she posted her birth story, um, her birth video. And I watched it and I was amazed. And then... Amazed that a body, a woman's body can birth a baby. And that she just, yeah, and she just knew, oh, I'm going to do this. And then I started seeing that there were more stories of women just like this. And I became so addicted to listening to these stories and hearing about this. So it's 2018. I'm not engaged. I don't even know that I'm going to get engaged to this man that I'm with. And already I'm like, when I do have a baby, I'm not going to a hospital to have my baby. I'm going to have my baby at home. Um, and even though I became obsessed. Yeah, even though you are a doctor, you're into medicines and science with animals, but still, like, this is just so opposite of that. Totally. And actually, it was sort of a journey for me listening to these stories, because in a lot of the stories that I was listening to, you know, the positive things that I was taking away was the wonderful birth stories. But in those stories, there was a lot of bashing of the medical system, which I was very sensitive to at the time. And, um, you know, I, I kind of made this deal with myself that, Hey, you can listen to something and take what you like and leave what you don't like. And that's okay to not agree with a hundred percent of what you're listening to. And that's very healthy. (laughs) Right. And, and, and also at the, at the same time, I was growing as a doctor myself and I can even say, you know, 2015 is when I first started practicing. I practice medicine so much differently now than I did then. And I have, um, you know, I think I've let go a lot of 
my desire to control my patients and my clients. And I've changed where I prefer to get on board with what the client wants to do, you know, and trust the client with what they think is best for their pet. You don't bully your I, I patients. Try not, exactly. I try not to, you know, I tell them this is what I think and this is what I believe to be true. This is what I think would be the best course of action. Do you want to do this plan? If you don't want to do this plan, we'll make another plan. So yeah, you probably have learned how to practice informed consent in a very healthy, respectful way, maybe from these birth stories. I try to, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So you do get married I to do. this man who said he wouldn't get married, but he just loved you so much <laughs> and changed his life plans. You get married, you conceive, and you go to an OBGYN appointment. I, I know. Well, actually, and before I went to the OBGYN appointment, I get pregnant. I, Tom, my husband, we, he knew that I was into home birth, free birth from so long ago. You know, I think he, my interpretation of his response to me when I talked about this stuff was that he thought I was nuts, but was like humoring me and like, I always wanted to, I always wanted to birth at home and then I got pregnant and I was like, Ooh, I'm scared. Yeah. You had a lot of confidence and he knew that was always the deal. Like yeah. this is the deal. We're having a home birth or a yeah. free birth. And he knew that. And you were like, this is, and you had so much confidence. So and much then confidence. you got pregnant. I got pregnant and I started, I wasn't talking to him about it at all, but I just started questioning myself and I started looking into options and then I found a couple um, uh, birth center in the area and I brought up to Tom one day, hey, you know, what do you think about a birth center? Um, I've looked into a couple of these. I don't know, what do you think? And he just looked at me straight in the eye and said, oh, you're scared. <laughs> And I was shocked and also I thought, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I, I totally am scared. Um, and all I needed from him was for him to acknowledge that I was backing out of my original plan from fear. We talked about it and um, I immediately thought, okay, never mind, forget it. I'm gonna find a home birth midwife. I'm going to look into this further. It's okay, I will be okay. Uh, I did go to an OBGYN appointment because I actually, part of my thought process with that was if I go get my blood work done at an OBGYN, I, there was blood work I wanted to get done. And I thought if I get it done there, it'll be more covered by insurance. Um, and also, I guess I maybe wanted to be sure this is not something that I wanted to do. Um, so we did go to an OBGYN appointment when I was about nine weeks. Um, that was not fun because it was, it was 2021 20, in the fall. And so I, we were wearing masks. It was, it just, it, you know, it just feels weird when everyone's, um, when everyone's like that. It was so common at that time anyway, but, um, we, go into the appointment and I told Tom, we actually had a briefing beforehand. We came up with a plan. I said, Tom, these are the things I don't want. I don't want to take my pants off. I don't want anything going into my vagina during this exam. 
during this checkup. So just so you know, I said, okay, great. On board, we can do this. And we go in immediately when they put us in a room, um, the technician says, okay, uh, the uh, PA will be in shortly. Um, take your pants off and here's your gown that you can wear. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, no, okay, no, thank you. Um, we're not gonna do that. Uh, I'm gonna keep my pants on. And she said, oh, okay, well, she'll talk to you all about it, no problem. Hold on, why did you go to this appointment? I think it was the... I wanted the, I knew I wanted blood work. I didn't, oh, I knew blood work was required for my home birth midwife. Um, specifically, uh, for whatever reason, syphilis testing is required. I don't know if it's because, um, because of like the close contact you would have in a home birth, I, I have no idea, but you just need, like that is one of the rules. But you had pain on one side, didn't you? So you wanted an ultrasound because you were afraid of eptop. Yeah, so another part of the story was that since I had gotten pregnant, I continued to have some pain on the left side of my body, um, specifically in the area of probably where my ovary is. Um, and I also suspect, kind of going back to conceiving and everything, I suspect that I ovulated from the left side during that pregnancy. I think that she had always been on that side. But I didn't realize at the time is that you can just have intermittent pain from the side that you ovulated on once you are already pregnant for probably the beginning of the pregnancy, not forever. So that was another thing that was on my mind. Hey, I'm having some pain, so it would make me feel better to have an ultrasound. To rule out ectopic. To rule out ectopic pregnancy. Um, and that I know, I recognized in my mind at the time, it's probably an irrational thought, but it, I, I also thought, hey, seeing my baby and knowing for sure will help me feel better and help me kind of get through this. Um, so the plan was go in, get blood work, and get an ultrasound. But I also knew I did not want a vaginal ultrasound. Um, and I knew I was about nine weeks old or nine weeks pregnant, and so you should be able to have an ultrasound without um, the vaginal probe. It's just easier, and they get a better picture. So the PA comes in, and she, you know, immediately was like, "Hey, I, I you know, I heard you don't want a vaginal exam." <laughs> like, yes, I, I don't. Um, thank you for acknowledging that. Uh, well, can I ask why? <laughs> and I'm laughing because I think it's so, it's such a silly question now, you know, who wants a vaginal exam? Who does want that? But at the time, um, it immediately put me into like fight or flight mode. You know, I immediately felt like I had to defend myself. Um, and I felt like I was, you know, I felt like I was doing something wrong, right? Because I wasn't. You're crazy. I wasn't doing, you know, I wasn't doing what I was told. I wasn't being a good girl. Um, so I, I asked her, why do I need to? And she said, one, for STD testing, which is gonorrhea and chlamydia. So I said, okay, well, I know that you can test for those with urine. So we can do urine instead. And the other is she needs to um, check the competence, competency of my cervix. And I thought, hey, can we just, you know, assume positive intent on behalf of my cervix? Let's assume <laughs> it's doing its job. Like, we're good. Oh my gosh. Um, and she's like, well, I've never touched your cervix before, so how would I know? And at this point, I'm basically almost in tears because, again, I feel like now I'm defending myself and I'm, I feel like I'm getting combative. And 
finally, my husband, who's been sitting quietly behind me and just um, observing, he sees me getting emotional and immediately is like, okay, we can just leave. Um, we can just go and we don't have to do any of this. And as soon as he said that, she completely changed her tune and said, well, hey, you know, it's not a big deal. Now it's not a big deal all of a sudden. We don't have to do it today, but we will have to do it next time. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, okay, great. We'll, we'll do it next time, you know, we'll, we'll do it. And of course, in that moment I knew, hey, we're never coming back here. Um, I love the masculinity of Tom, right? To step in to protect his woman. Yeah. But also, I love that. But also, I hate that they just respect a man's opinion like that. I know. It makes me so mad too. But all, it makes me so mad. But at the same time, I am so grateful that I had him in that moment because I was almost in tears and I was about to take my pants off. Like, I, if he wasn't there, I probably would have done it. And I'm not you know, a weak little woman, or <laughs> that's not how I think of myself in general. Um, but the fact that I just felt so bad for saying no. <sighs> wow. Anyway, that's how that went. And then the other um, sort of crazy thing that happened was they did allow me to have a non-vaginal ultrasound, um, which was kind of a crazy thing. Whoa. Like, we'll allow it. They, I could tell when we walked into the room with the OBGYN, she was annoyed. And, um, you know, we had to pull my pants down really far. She's like, yeah, because it's really far down there. Like, oh, okay, sure, that's fine. And then as soon as my baby popped up on the screen, I saw her little stick figure body and I started crying. I was so emotional. I was so overwhelmed. And this woman says to me, I need you to stop breathing. <laughs> and I was so shocked. And I looked at my husband. He had like tears in his eyes too, just from seeing the baby. Um, and I'm just like, I can't believe she just said that to me. I, I held my breath. <laughs> I let her do her scans. They're like, yeah, the baby's measuring perfectly normal. Um, she wasn't on that one side. <laughs> right. I'm like, of course she is. Of course everything's perfect. She's measuring the same amount of gestational age that she should be all of this makes sense wonderful glad we did this Thanks. so you you got your experience to be like i am not going back Correct. there and that's like kind of why you that, did it subconsciously maybe right right probably but that totally helped solidify my belief in what i was doing and just remind me that you know i don't want to be I don't want to put myself in a place where I need to fight with some authority when I'm in a, the most vulnerable state of trying to birth my baby. It was hard enough for me to disagree with them being pregnant, um, you know, and not going through the, yeah. the waves of, of labor. So yeah, that totally solidified for both of us. Hey, we're good with all of this. We're done. Amazing. So then you go along in your pregnancy and you are kind of debating between free birthing and having a midwife, but you hire the midwife, but you just in your mind were like, maybe I'll call her, maybe I won't when I'm in labor. Correct. One of my questions when I interviewed my midwife was, what if we just don't call you? And I liked her response. It was very, I really liked when I met her, she um, 
she's just, she's very real and I, I appreciated her responses. And when I asked, what if we didn't call you? She said, well, we miss, we miss births all the time. <laughs> and I said, okay, great, wonderful. <laughs> so like no hard feelings then. So then let's kind of talk about the ego with free birthing because I love that you admit that because I think that's a thing. I think our egos, everyone has an ego mind and it sometimes gets off on wanting to be different or wanting to show how strong you are and look at what you can do and everyone else is like average or basic or, you know, people might choose to free birth under ego reasons and that is a thing and it's not a thing for everyone but for some people I think it is um and so you have you had a bit of that you said yeah so for me I heard about free birth I loved hearing about it um I thought it I mean I thought it was so beautiful a lot of these women's stories um and I thought at the same time hey if these women can do it why can't why wouldn't I be able to do it Um, And I consider myself a very strong person. As I said, I'm a power lifter. I'm like, oh, if I can, if I can squat 400 pounds, I can have my baby at home by myself. I don't need anyone else. What would I need them for? Um, So, you know, part of me wanting to free birth was trying to avoid, um, bringing too many people in to the space that could create a problem or create trauma. And part of it was, yeah, ego and, and pride in myself. Like, why, why could I not do this? It's just having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so then how did it unfold? So the way that it unfolded um, was I... We had um, a beautiful mother's blessing for you at my house. Yeah, we had a beautiful mother's blessing the day after my birthday. And I felt so blissed out after that experience. I was so ready to go into labor and have a baby. And I didn't have a baby for another two weeks after that. <laughs> I was pretty <laughs> bummed that it took me a while. Let's, um, let's say what a mother's blessing is for a oh. second. Because I hope it's the new wave of showers, baby showers. Right. Because baby showers are centered over in consumerism. Mm-hmm. It's let's bring gifts of stuff for the baby, for the parents. It's literally stuff, 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 stuff. And it's like blankets and clothes and bassinets and nursery things. And as if that's going to help you when you have a baby, when you're in postpartum, it's, it's just so off base, but totally reflective and mirrors our culture, which is all about consumerism consumerism and stuff but a mother's blessing is centering the pregnant woman and totally nourishing her with food love prayers massage all these different ways in which you hold a party for this pregnant woman and you love on her and she feels that love and you pray over her and her baby and it is a completely different experience than a baby shower, which is just about gifts. It's a, yeah, it, it is a totally different experience. Um, it's about gifts and it's also a huge focus on the baby, which is also a common theme, you know, when you are pregnant and when you have a baby, it's how's the baby doing? What's going on with the baby? Tell me about the baby. Let me see pictures of the baby. 
Um, and I do think there is a lack of celebration for this crazy accomplishment that's going on in your body and then this crazy transition from the baby being in you to out of you. Um, it is it is completely a rebirth of yourself. And definitely I experienced that. But um, as far as my experience, I had, um, so I had a baby shower. I had two baby showers actually. And the mother's blessing, of course, that you hosted. Um, and I, I love my baby showers. And a lot of, you know, I think a lot of people, the way that they show their love is with gifts. And of course, I appreciate so many of the gifts that I got and they were helpful for for my baby, for my daughter. But people just think that is the only way to show. Right. And it's and it's no fault to them. It's right. just our culture. And this is how you show support and love is you buy a gift for the baby, right. for them. And mother's blessings are just trying to reorient um, support in an energetic, loving gesture way, yeah. I think. Yeah, and, and um, how are you feeling what's on your mind as you're getting ready and yeah praying over the woman and and you know giving you strength and giving you hopefully resilience um and i think um so at my at one of my baby showers i did ask my family members to write me um birth affirmations and then of course at the mother's blessing all of the women wrote me affirmations um on different things on a candle and i have these little um wooden uh, beads that people drew on and wrote things on and during my setup of my birth i had both of those things so i had um, a beautiful hanging um, string with the signs from my um, baby shower clip to it and then i also had a little altar where i had some crystals and the beads from and the candle from my mother's blessing so it was nice when i was in labor to have those the combination of those things and I was able to read my affirmations and think about those people in that moment. Wow. Um, and, and get strength from those things. So it, they were super, super helpful. Yeah. I mean, but normal baby showers typically don't do birth affirmations. Correct. Correct. And I will say, like, you know, I did have to give my family some direction with. Yeah, which is great. What, yeah, you... what does this mean? What is a birth affirmation? What are you looking for in yes. this? But that's amazing. You took initiative of that. Yeah, it worked out really, really well. Yeah. Um, so then going to birth, um, uh, I was about 41 weeks pregnant. I was getting very frustrated. I was getting stressed out. Oh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. We had one last appointment with a midwife, which was a different midwife than my normal midwife. My midwife was out of town. This woman started talking to me. She never met me before. She never looked at my chart and saw all the things that I declined. And she started talking to me about things to get labor going if I wanted to. And we can do as many membrane sweeps as you want if you like to. Um, we can start doing herbs, whatever we have to do to get this. Why? <laughs> because I was getting close to 42 weeks. So I was getting close to you know risking out for them. Yeah, because they would probably have to transfer. Correct you to a hospital if you went past 42 weeks. Correct. And Tom and I left that appointment. Of course, we were both traumatized by that appointment of this woman talking to us about these all these crazy things that we could do that we obviously did not want to do. And we left and we looked at each other in the parking lot and we're like, okay, so if we go past 42 weeks, we're, we're just staying at home, right? 
we're just, we're just going to do this. And at the time, my regular midwife was out of town too. So we were also, that was extra, we were extra hesitant. We were just thinking, hey, we're not calling anyone. We're not risking this woman, this other woman. We, she's not coming to our home. She's nuts. We can't have her there. So, so we, I was traumatized. Oh, so you really were going into labor being like, we're not calling anyone. Correct. Because okay. I couldn't risk that that woman could be at my house. Um, I, I was bad, bad vibes. Um, but I also was like, I got to get this baby out of here. I was, I was, I was starting to get, which I've learned about myself that when I'm not getting what I want, I am so pouty. I am just, you're victim. Woe is me. Why, why is everything so hard? I don't deserve this. I am a victim. I'm the best victim. I can, you can see it in my birth pictures. I'm so, my lip is pouty. Like, <laughs> what did I ever do oh to deserve this? Um, so at 41 weeks, I went to the gym with Tom. I was like, I'm going to start. I'm going to, I haven't deadlifted in a while. I'm going to deadlift today. I'm going to put myself into labor. That was my, that was me trying to induce oh labor. My God. It didn't work. Um, I went home. Everything was fine. And then the next day was a Sunday. We, I had this inspiration to make myself a great breakfast around noon. I went to pee and I, I was thinking, hey, I got to get myself dressed. We got to start the day. It was noon. Um, and I saw that I lost my mucus plug or I was starting to lose my mucus plug. And I was so excited because I was asking for a sign that something was going to happen at any point. And even if I hadn't gone into labor that day, I would have been happy. Hey, things are moving. Great. Love it. Wonderful. But I told Tom and he's like, oh, do you think we're going to have a baby today? And I said, this, we could have a baby today. We could have a baby in a week. This is, doesn't mean much, but I'm just letting you know. But in that moment, I thought, hey, I got to set up my birth space. So I started doing that um, pretty immediately. And... That took me a couple hours. I had a nice time and I set up all of those affirmations. I set everything up in my living room. That's where I just imagined myself laboring. And then I just hung out and had a nice day around four o'clock. So I went, so yeah, I lost my mucus plug around 12. Around four o'clock, I started to feel some like period cramping type of feelings. Not painful at all, just, um, hey, this is just an interesting feeling. I'm feeling bloated and like, I'm gonna start bleeding. So you didn't really have Braxton Hicks contractions? I did. Okay. I did, but those were totally different. Oh, but it, did it play with your mind? No, because oh. they started so early on. Oh. I started having Braxton Hicks contractions at like 30 weeks. And so, and they they felt so, so different. And the Braxton Hicks contraction, I don't know if anyone's ever described this to you, but it's um, any, after any activity sometimes, it was just this huge tightening of my belly. And it would just then gently relax where this, these feelings came from so much lower and, um, were just so different feeling. It was not the tightening at all. Totally, totally okay. different. And I kind of knew it was going to be a different feeling. So I was thinking, Oh, are things happening? Um, and I will say, I feel like my progression in my labor was very linear. There was never a big stoppage everything just sort of slowly progressed. And we, um, 
by eight o'clock I tried to go to sleep I was too excited to sleep so I couldn't and then Tom came to bed at 10 and by then I was uncomfortable enough that I had to go sleep in our guest room um, because I had to roll over every time I had some sort of um, cramping going on and then I also felt like I had to go to the toilet a lot so I was doing a lot of that and uh, things totally sped up at night which I expected I sort of planned for I tried to rest as much as I could and I did get decent sleep and then I would just wake up every time I had a contraction go to the toilet go back to sleep and by 2 2 30 in the morning I had to wake up Tom I was getting like I was getting pretty uncomfortable and I was craving some sort of pain control and I thought uh, water would be nice so I asked him to wake up and set up our birth pool and I know I didn't want to hear the noise of the uh, air pump going off <laughs> so I so while he was setting that up oh and I oh and the, a really really sweet thing was I woke him up and said hey you know I need you to get up and he just opened his little eyes looked at me and said are we having a baby <laughs> and I said I think we're having a baby oh so sweet um, he got up and started getting that ready. I went into our guest room and started putting on my war paint, which is braiding my hair. <laughs> so anytime I would compete in a powerlifting meet, I would have some sort of elaborate braid in my hair. It just makes me feel powerful. I would call them my power braids. Um, so it makes me feel tough and like I can do anything, I can take anything on. So he's doing that i'm uh, on the birthing ball in my guest room in the mirror braiding my hair just thinking imagining what my baby is going to look like um and as soon as he was done filling up the pool i had to get in and I, this whole time too i'm thinking sarah this is a marathon not a sprint feed yourself water yourself i was eating snacking on watermelon that felt like a good snack to me drinking sips of water, staying hydrated, just doing, just moving and, and, and trying to rest when I could. Things became really tough for me and really challenging when I started vomiting. I had been vomiting throughout my entire pregnancy. I hate vomiting. And in general, in life, whenever I vomit, my reaction is to cry and feel bad for myself because it is so sad. <laughs> Poor me. So sad. Poor me. <laughs> it is so sad. So I vomited about 9 a.m. I was laying on the couch resting. I felt a, I woke up to a horrible um, contraction. I sit up and said, Tom, he's in the other room making coffee. And I, I couldn't say to him what I needed. And then I said, bucket. And he couldn't get to me quickly enough. So I vomited watermelon all over our beige rug in the living room, which amazingly was the biggest mess of the entire birth process. So no way. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And so immediately Tom's cleaning up this mess. I'm feeling horrible because I'm so, I'm so sad that he's having to clean this up instead of making the coffee. I what feel a so woman! <laughs> You're so sad. Your husband. Has to clean up puke while you're in labor. And, I mean, it was just so funny. Bright pink on this carpet. I, I think he thought that we were going to have to get rid of the carpet. It's actually perfectly clean now. Um, it's still there? It's still there. <laughs> it's the same one. 
So once the vomiting started, for me, that really shifted my mindset. I was feeling tough. I was feeling good. And then I started feeling bad for myself as soon as I started vomiting. Whoa. Because I also knew, I knew that a lot of women vomited during transition, but I also knew I knew I was nowhere near transition. And so I thought, I'm gonna continue doing this until I have this baby. I'm not gonna be able to eat anything. This, you Ooh, know. You kind of spiraled. Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Fear, fear, fear. Like the puke is gonna mean this and then it's gonna lead to this and then this. Mm -hmm. Monkey mind. Mm -hmm. And it was true, it was true that I did continue vomiting. I would, just I think the pain from a contraction, it's, it was so weird. You know, it's like your body's purging from the top and the bottom. You know, I would feel myself pushing below and then I would feel everything coming out up top. Um, so that really started creating problems for me in my mind, in my mental state. And I started um, fantasizing about going to the hospital, uh, getting pain control, opting out, just save me sit please if someone i actually was thinking in my mind how can i convince tom that i need to go to the hospital that i <laughs> need it because i knew he wouldn't do it because he knows he knew what i truly wanted but at the time i'm thinking how can i manipulate this man this is so juicy because <laughs> this is the realness of the mind yeah in the moment of suffering pain discomfort you meet your shadow self mm -hmm. and it's like, get me the F out of here. Mm -hmm. Completely. Yeah, the ego will do anything to avoid pain. Even though, even though you knew where the end result was coming, mm -hmm. you were being, you were going to meet your baby, the thing you've been wanting your whole life. But the pain to meet your baby is like, nope, save me, I'm out. I'm opting out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't. But you didn't. Yeah. Of course. And I do, I do have a lot of, um, you know, I, I, when I hear about women who went to the hospital with the intention of, um, having a natural labor or, a, um, medication free labor and they do not, I completely understand that because if I had been in a hospital, if there had been any injectable medications near me at all, they would, I would have, I wouldn't have been able to say no. If someone was offering me something I could not have said no in that moment. If there was a needle of oxy in your house mid-labor, you probably would just been like, absolutely. Give it to me, Tom. Absol absolutely. There's nothing could have yeah. nothing could have stopped me from that. So, so I am so grateful that I was at home. Um, because I did get the labor that I wanted and I got the birth that I wanted. And I did get I did reap the rewards in the sense that I had such a euphoric postpartum and I'm so glad. But I love, I just love that you speak to that because to me, it does take a different level of strength to be in a hospital and want to be saved and begged with pain meds and still don't. Right. Like, I don't even know how people do it. It's, uh, I feel the same way. I, I, when I hear that women did not have pain medication, I, I can't believe it. Actually, my mom, my mom's in town right now and we were just talking for her birth of me it was the her last birth and she had a midwife and because she had a midwife apparently they didn't offer her um, like an epidural or anything so she um my labor was completely 
natural. Yeah, in that in sense. hospital. Yeah. Whoa, cool. Crazy, right? And also, she was in labor for like a day and a half. Or she like they l- allowed her to labor that long without saying, "Hey, we need to cut you open." Whoa, mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Pretty cool. Uh, so back to where we're at. For me, by noon of that next day, Monday, I was feeling so horrible and um, going crazy in my mind and in so much pain. It, you know, felt like so overwhelming. I told Tom that we need to call the midwife. And he said to me, are you sure? Because he knew we didn't want to. And I said, yes, we need, we, need to, we need to do something. We need to call someone. I need something to change. Even though I knew they wouldn't be, even though I knew they wouldn't be giving me pain medications or anything, I knew it was a distraction that I needed to take me away from thinking about the hospital. And so he called, and that was actually dramatic because there were three other babies born that day, or two other babies born that day, the same midwife group. So we didn't get the lady we didn't like, fortunately, because she was busy with another birth. Um, we got the backup backup, who was supposed to be our postpartum midwife. Very, very sweet woman. Um, when I describe her presence at my house, she was, she was angelic. She was offering just very sweet, kind words and things to be doing and things to be thinking about. So she got on the phone with Tom. Well, first, we couldn't get a hold of anybody. There was a lot of trying to figure out what to do. We, they did get back to us because basically they were just dealing with another baby at the time. They did get back to us. Jen called and she said to Tom, it sounds like you guys are wanting some support. And Tom's like, let me check in with Sarah. Sarah, do you want support? I'm just like, yes. You know, just from the depths of this horrible, sad place that I'm at. And so he said, yes, we would like some support. And um, she got there around one-ish, I think. She came and and, um, checked in on me. She checked my blood pressure, which was normal. She um, checked a Doppler of the baby's heart rate, which was normal. Everything was fine. And I had had, also in my pregnancy, I had elevated blood pressures towards the end of my pregnancy, which was stressful for me because, again, I was worried about uh, risking out, things like that. Um, But they trusted me and everything worked out fine. And um, I had Dopplers with my baby. I was very familiar with the whole process. I was in the pool when she was checking me. Everything was wonderful. Then we hear from my original midwife, who I loved. She had just gotten off a plane, landed in Phoenix. She said, hey, I heard Sarah's in labor. I'm going to drop my kids off and I'll be over. And so we were pretty excited. Hey, we're going to have two midwives. And awesome that this woman, um, you know, that we have had this relationship with is going to be there. So she came in around 145 uh, and she brought it both people brought in good energy, just sort of different. Uh, when she walked in, it was more like this laser focus, Tom describes it as, um, where she really honed in on me and, and was checking in about where I'm at. I started to describe to her that I was feeling like I needed to push. She was asking me questions, which I, I'm like, in my mind, at this point in my pregnancy, at this point in my labor, I couldn't keep my eyes open. My eyes were closed. I could barely talk. And she was asking me questions about 
are you feeling like you need to push at the beginning or at the peak of your contraction? And I thought, how am I supposed to know that? I've never experienced this before. I have no idea. So I just came up with some answer. But basically 145, everybody had arrived. Um, I was frustrated and so sad and just really feeling bad for myself. Um, I tried a bunch of different <laughs> positions. They asked me what felt the best. I felt horrible at everyone. Every time I moved, things felt worse. And I just kept feeling so, so sad for myself. Um, Hold on. Did you think you would have a pain-free birth? Did you think you'd have this bliss? Sure. Yeah, okay, okay. of course. Because other people could do it. I couldn't. <laughs> so you experienced pain, so poor you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, also, I just imagined myself being this resilient, like rising above it sort of woman. And I just was not. Okay, yes. Yeah. So I talked about this on a previous episode where... Oh no, I didn't talk about this, but I thought about it from Natasha's episode where I think, I don't know if this applies to you, but I was raised in like a stoic Finnish community and being strong and mm. stoic is strength. Mm. And with women with this type of programming, being loud and victim-y in labor is weak. You're mm. so weak. And I think a lot of us with programming of you have to be silent to be strong or, right? Like there's, I don't know if you have that programming, but I do think women have this programming and I have it. And there's this association with weakness Yes. that you imagine yourself as this strong warrior, yes. but you were this little weak yes. lady. Yes. So I don't think I have, I don't. I don't have the like the obvious community programming yeah. like you do, but I Maybe it's a personality thing for you. But for me, so in general, I am a very emotional person. It's very easy for me to cry. It's very easy for me to laugh. You know, I feel all of it. And I've always felt very insecure about crying. Often because when I'm trying to be serious and I have a lot of emotion, I cry. Like when I'm trying to fight with you know, argue with someone, I should say. Um, and then I feel like I'm not being taken seriously. Okay. So I always want to be emotionless because I think that is, is strong. That shows strength, you know, again, being able to rise above. But I am shown again and again in my life that I am not that person. I am the person who shows how they feel and I express things sometimes wildly. Well, yeah, and it's not even true though, right? To that's not the definition of strength, right? This is right? An, exactly. Yeah. This is an idea in my head. It, yes, it's it's a definition in your head, which is in a lot of people's heads. To this day, when I tell people that I birthed at home, um, and you know, they're like, "Oh, without pain control, obviously, I couldn't have any pain control at home." Um, they they're like, "Wow, that is you're so brave. You're so this. You're so that." And in my mind, I feel like, no, I'm not. I was crying the whole time. I was screaming. I, uh, you should have seen me. You know, I was a baby. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, what do you think now? I still, I, I feel like, hey, in my next birth, I will be stronger. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I know. Isn't that crazy? No, because that is funny because it's all perspective. Totally. Because someone that has had epidural births look at you and, and they're like, yeah, you felt 
the entire experience of birth and you did it. The, my ego, as soon as I had my daughter, I thought, how can I do this better next time? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that so crazy? <laughs> I hope you look at that with your next birth. <laughs> right, right, right. This is good. Um, so, so anyway, um, back to my laboring, uh, things just getting more and more intense, building and building. I'm working in different, moving in different positions. Finally, we decide I need to get out of, I've been in the pool, a birth pool, because that was the best for me for pain control. That just felt the best. Um, but I realized I had a full bladder and I wasn't able to urinate in the pool. I like couldn't do it. I couldn't let go. I also loved laboring on the toilet. So we moved myself to the toilet, which was an experience of moving and um, having contractions like hitting me constantly. Um, and so I was able to empty my bladder, felt better, great. Um, while all this was happening, so something that I did not anticipate happening which did happen that when I look back, I, I didn't, I didn't love it in the moment, um, was the Doppler monitor monitoring did continue, which makes sense. I should have, you know, I could have realized that knowing that, um, I was hiring a midwife and those are, you know, what's one of the tools that they use, but towards the very end, when things were becoming the most intense, um, I remember having a really intense contraction, the Doppler being on me, and it feeling like it was adding to my pain. And I don't know that it necessarily was, but it felt like it was making things worse. <laughs> and I remember pushing it away and saying no, and then telling me, no, we need it, and putting it back on. And in that moment, I was mad. And I thought... Well, yeah, because you said no, and right. they didn't honor it. Right, totally. And, I, and that also, to me, gave me more, um, I need to get this baby out. I need to get this baby out now because I can't keep doing this. I can't keep having that process happening to me. I mean, there were many reasons that I needed, that I wanted to get the yeah. baby out, but that was another contributing thing. And I didn't anticipate feeling that way because like I said, I'd, I'd had Doppler throughout my pregnancy and um, it was not something that was in my mind of something that would make me uncomfortable. Um, but when we were talking about this with our friend, what I love that I think she brought up was, you know, birth and sex are so similar. Mm -hmm. You need privacy. You want to be with int your intimate partner. You need, you know, usually darkness, you know, all these things, safety, emotional safety. And just imagine if you're having sex, someone having a device like near your vagina mm -hmm. and you're trying to enjoy sex and be in the moment and it's impossible which is what you felt in birth you couldn't fully be in that moment with that doppler and i think it correct it was it was a distraction yeah for sure and for whatever reason that distraction felt like it elevated the pain for me yeah makes sense um so i moved from the toilet to my bed i Finally, I think I, I, I felt like I was pushing. I felt pushy, so I just went with what felt good to me. And I was pushing for probably two-ish hours um, just because that's what my body felt like it needed to do. And then she finally came out, and oh my goodness, her head coming out was the best feeling in the world, the biggest, the biggest feeling of relief that I could ever imagine. And I remember thinking in my head, and it's foolish that I thought this, but... 
I remember thinking, oh, I'm so done. Like, I'm done. I, th- I did it. Like, so she's, I, out. she's out. <laughs> and actually, for me, I was actually done. It did work out in my favor and it was fine. But most women, they have the head and then they have to birth the shoulders and the body comes out. She, as soon as her head was out, she just shot out like a rocket and like rode this wave of meconium fluid, which actually my, yeah, my water never broke. So she wasn't, she wasn't born and call, but she, I think all the fluid was behind her. So nothing ever came out. Um, she came out screaming right away, which was such a blessing because it helped me know that she was perfect and she was fine. Oh, oh, and something that happened that, oh my goodness, this totally stressed me out. I was convinced she was a girl my entire pregnancy. I felt like I knew her. Oh, because you didn't have a, an anatomy scan. You only Correct. had that one ultrasound at nine weeks. Correct. So you did not know the gender. We didn't know. And we didn't want to know. We wanted to find out. But I was convinced from the beginning that she was a girl. And <laughs> she was brought out onto my belly. I, you know, was breathing and just like touching her. She, and she had a, a short cord, so she was just on my belly. Um, the midwife said... Um, his cord is short. He has a short cord. And, and I was sort of, as soon as she came out, I was sort of in la la land, right? Like I was tripping and she said those words and that immediately brought me out of my haze. And I was, it was an instant clarity. And I said, what? He's a boy. (laughs) And (laughs) she shrugs and goes, oh, I don't know. I think she was just saying like, that was just the first, you know, pronoun that came to her. That was just a natural thing. But I, I was, what, what is going on? And then she said to my husband, she's like, tell her, dad, you know, what the baby is. So he looks and he's confused because he's worried why she said boy too. And he looks and he goes, it's a girl? <laughs> you know, question mark. And as soon as he said that, I also had this breath of relief and thought, Whew, of course, I knew it. Of course she is. I knew her the whole time. But that one moment, I was going to lose it. Because I, I, how could I not have known? I mean, of course, it it would be totally easy for me to not know anyway. But um, that was a very interesting, interesting moment. So yeah, so then she was born. Um, We did, I wanted, I was planning on originally leaving her attached to the placenta for a couple hours, but because her cord was so short, I wanted her to nurse. Um, I wanted to be able to pull her up. So we probably left her attached for like 30-ish minutes once, once it was not pulsing anymore. What about your placenta birth? The placenta birth was unremarkable. Um, basically, and, and I'm really glad, um, I let her nurse and her nursing made me feel contractions. And that's, that happens for a while afterwards because that's how your uterus involutes is the, it, it contracts down. But from her nursing, I felt contractions to remind me to push the um, placenta out. And it came out um, and we looked at it together, like my midwife, like we went through it and like looked at the different parts and it was pretty cool. Um, they helped me shower while Tom held her and she fell asleep. And they did an exam on her in my bedroom on my bed in front of me, which I know Tom really, he said that that gave him a lot of peace because he liked that they listened to her heart. He was, I think, you know, 
just knowing that her heart sounds normal and nothing's obviously wrong with her. Um, but yeah, then they just started some laundry, fed me, tucked me in, they cleaned up the house. And then around, so she was born at 4.41 p.m. And then they... So you were in labor like 24 hours? What yeah, was I would say okay. 20 to 24. And the first half was fine, totally manageable. And it was that second half where, oof, felt so bad for myself. Looking back, like what are your thoughts on it? I mean, you kind of explained it well, but um, you know, like if you give birth again, like what is your mindset going into that? My mindset, I... You want to be better. <laughs> be better, Sarah. <laughs> As if it's a competition. Tougher, right, right. Oh, next my gosh. Next time, well, next time I will be, um, we will have our daughter around. So we will have to kind of figure out the way we manage that. Um, I really liked, I think I did a, I had a really good balance of, in the, especially in the beginning, you know, resting and trying to take advantage of that time where I had to rest. Yeah, you were able to sleep. I was able to sleep a, a decent amount. Um, I think going into the next one, it's going to be just preparing myself for when it gets tough. The mental game. The mental game. And telling myself, it's okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be pathetic if that's how you want to be. Yeah. It doesn't make your birth experience any... Less than. Less than. Just because you wanted to pout and cry, that's fine. I mean, it is the one experience where you kind of have that badge. <laughs> Tom never gets it. Tom will never push a baby out. Right. But maybe, right. you know, as a woman, like, that, we know it's our one shining moment to use that card, maybe. <laughs> and the ego knows it. Yeah. I can I see this. that. Like, I, I created. I created life. And then I birthed that life. You can have any emotions you want during that. Right. Because you still did it. I know, but I want myself to be so... Oh my I just gosh. Want, why do I want myself to be different than who I am? So funny. <sighs> um, so what about your postpartum? You said that was quite blissful. Postpartum was really cool. Um, I felt like I was... I felt like I was high. I felt like I was tripping for at least two weeks. Even though I was sleep deprived in the sense that, you know, she was waking up every two to three hours to eat. So my sleep was obviously disturbed. Um, every time she woke up and then, you know, Tom would have to say, hey, Sarah, you know, you have to wake up. You feel so bad. I would just wake up with this smile on my face. Okay. All right, bring me the baby. Let me nurse her. I was so happy to have her and, and just experience all of it. Um, yeah, I felt wonderful. And then that just, you know, that slowly, I think, um, that slowly wears off. And I feel like that's the veil. They call the veil is thin during that mm -hmm. moment, where like you're a part of heaven, like it's tangible. And then you kind of shift back, the veil gets thick and you kind of shift back into... Just this normal life. Reality, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it did feel like I was just in this weird, you know, not quite only earth place. And it was okay. I was just blissful. I felt so happy. Amazing. 
So I want you to explain anything you feel is worthy in saying about becoming a new mom, the transition from maiden to mother, because it's a huge initiation. It's so big. And even though I went into my pregnancy knowing that that happens, I still could not anticipate how I would resist that change and how, yeah, how I would, how I would react. Um, I said that I had a very blissful postpartum and the first two weeks I really did a great job of resting, staying in bed and allowing people to cater to me, um, which was wonderful. And then my husband went back to work at about three weeks postpartum and for whatever reason, no one said this to me, no one told me I needed to do this, but because he was going back to work, I decided that was when I needed to be back to doing things and helping out around the house and you know getting laundry done, um, even though I knew I shouldn't be doing that. And so I had a little mini breakdown right after about three, three and a half weeks because I thought, oh, my baby's gonna nap. Let me get some stuff done. I did. My baby's gonna nap again. I'll rest when she naps the next time. She didn't nap the next time. And I got into this, I was so overwhelmed and exhausted. And so I, I, I cried and I, 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 I felt horrible. I felt horrible. And then I realized, oh, Sarah, you did this to yourself. You don't need to be doing this. Um, it is still okay to rest. You are in the scheme of things, at the time I didn't, couldn't see the big picture, but three weeks is nothing. Three weeks is nothing. I look back at pictures of myself from three weeks postpartum, one month postpartum, two months, and I am just so raw. I'm, and I expected so much more of myself. I don't know why. I just expected myself to be out and about and living my life. And I just remember feeling so, you are just, you're so new to the world. You are a newborn. Um, and so I hope for myself, um, the next time that I am postpartum that I can remember that and force myself to, to rest. I think it will be different because obviously now I'm already a mother and I have a little baby who's running around, but, um, man, it's so, so important to, to take advantage of that time and really, really not rush it because you can't get it back. Yeah, I think it's kind of what we all see from our society is our worthiness. And it's not at a conscious level. We're not really aware of it. But our worthiness is by what we do in a day. Yes. By our chores in a day. Whether we cleaned the house, whether we ran errands. Instead, in postpartum, your worthiness is in feeding your baby and comforting your baby. Right. And that's what our society doesn't um, show. So it's in these intimate circles with friends, with mothers, that that's where we really see it. And then sh in sharing stories like this, yeah, that we can really be aware of your worthiness anytime, but especially in postpartum, is not what you accomplish in a day. Right. Yeah. And then um, really just taking that time to, yeah, be slow and learn about my baby. I mean, now, so she's oh, she's a little over a year old now. And to think of all of the different 
phases we've been through with her and to look at pictures of when she was just born to right now. I mean, gosh, what a big change. And my husband describes the first year of her life as the best year of his life <laughs> and definitely the best year of my life too. Um, man, it's so amazing. And something I, I didn't, ima I didn't anticipate. Oh, but something that we've talked about before is her, her sleep changed so much. That was something that was so perplexing to me. I was not anticipating. I babysat kids from a very young age. I've been able to put babies to sleep, children to sleep all the time. My own baby, I had her and I, she was a newborn and I thought, okay, how do I make her go to sleep? <laughs> um, she, when she was just born, she um, would do this thing where, and I'm sure this is, many babies do this. She, at night, when it would get close to nighttime, she would nurse and nurse and nurse and she would fall asleep on my breast. But then as soon as I moved her, she would wake up and she was inconsolable. And so she would fall back asleep on my breast. And we did this game of like, okay, but how do I tell you now it's time to stay asleep? You know, you're, you're pretty good at doing it during the day. So we, I had to learn what would put her to sleep. And I did. And I mastered that for about a month. <laughs> she changed and she needed something else and then we had to adjust her sleep routine and even now we're adjusting I'm probably on the fifth or sixth or seventh iteration of what puts her to sleep at night and I have to remind myself to not get comfortable because we are continuing to evolve and that's not going to change just because I I'm tired of changing. <laughs> yeah, I love when we talked about this a few weeks ago because you didn't anticipate the constant change. Yes. But when you think about the developmental growth growth of a baby's brain, one, two, three years, it's the most exponential. So, you know, baby's brain development in one month changes. So that make it makes sense that things change in all aspects, but it makes it so much harder for the parents. So we just wish things right. could be constant. We wish things wouldn't change, but that's the one thing that is true with children is things constantly change. Constantly. And uh, one thing with her and sleep specifically, this is another woe is me moment because it's something that I didn't anticipate and I didn't like. I, as a child, always wanted to sleep with my parents i never wanted to sleep alone i wanted i was either sleeping like with my sister in her bed or sleeping in my mom's bed and i always imagined when i have a baby i'm going to co-sleep and i'm going to co-sleep forever however long that means um whatever they want and tom also totally on board with co-sleeping he loved the idea of us all being together it was wonderful we i co-slept with her from when she was born um until she was about eight months old. And then we went through this phase where she would fall asleep at night. We would go to sleep normally. And then about four hours after falling asleep, she would wake up and then she would just crawl around the bed and just have a party and just not be sleeping. And I couldn't nurse her back to sleep. She would nurse and then she would just get up and wanna play. And so with a lot of trial and error and a lot of sadness on my part, we experimented with her sleeping in her own space and I learned, of course, she prefers to sleep alone, which is not what I prefer. <laughs> and that made me so sad and also made me feel like a bad mother because why doesn't my baby want to sleep with me? 
But she now sleeps, she sleeps on her own and she gets great sleep. We all sleep. It's wonderful. But that was something that I totally did not anticipate and did not see for myself and my family. Expectation. You really wanted it to look a certain way. And she's her own little person with her own personality. Right. Uh, Which, which humbles you. Humbles me. Yeah. For sure. Um, so then a few months ago, you had a pretty big life event happen. Oh, right. So actually, and this was around the same time as I was feeling a lot of feelings about her, um, sleep changing. Um, when I was, when she was eight months old, I became pregnant and it was, um, not intentional. It was... You were open-minded, though. Of course. It was just, I mean, it was a wonderful miracle. Um, Not something that we were planning at all. And I found out that I was pregnant when my husband was out of town. So that was super dramatic um, because he was out of town for a work trip. So I told him when he came back as like a, hey, this is a big surprise. We're pregnant. We're going to have another baby. Um, So I had a lot of mixed feelings initially just because I was shocked I was surprised and then we were so excited and so happy um you mainly didn't want it to affect your breastfeeding right I yes actually yes 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 yes. I remember now the, the night that I got pregnant I had a dream oh yeah that I became pregnant and I lost my milk and I was so upset because I've always breastfed my daughter and um I always intended to continue to breastfeed her. And I remember I had that dream. We talked about it the next day when we were hanging out together. And we were, you and the rest of our friends, we all decided it's just a dream, Sarah. (laughs) You know, it doesn't mean you're pregnant. I was in fact pregnant. (laughs) Um, What a crazy, crazy But yeah, you knew, you knew that that same day you got pregnant, I remember yeah. you saying. Yeah. yeah, I was worried about it, but that, and then I completely forgot but, about but it. But you had a knowing, you're like, I think we just made Created a baby. A baby. Yeah. And then you had a dream, yeah. I yes. think. Yes, correct, correct, Crazy. correct, correct. yes. Um, so, found out I was pregnant, told Tom, we were both overwhelmed, and then both so happy. Uh, also a stressful time, because we're dealing with a lot of weird stuff with Genevieve sleeping. So I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking too, wow, how can I manage two when I can't manage this one right now? You know, that was definitely heavy on my mind. Um, And then, unfortunately, about a week after Tom came home from his work trip, he got really sick. Um, And it was probably COVID. We don't know, but it seems like he he had a fever, he had some coughing, um, and he... um, spent a lot of time by himself. I had not been sick for a long time and I had never had COVID. Um, Basically about a week after he got sick, my daughter Genevieve started having symptoms where she got a fever. I think it was the first time she ever had a fever. And we sleep, we were sleeping face to face. So of course, um, I still thought I would be fine, but I ended up getting sick too. So it was this like three week period of Tom getting sick, Genevieve getting sick, then me getting sick. We were all just kind of out of commission and taking a really long time to recover. And I remember thinking while I was febrile at one point, 
I was actually texting our friend Emily and and being like, I'm I'm wanting to Google like how high of a temperature can a baby survive inside of a mom? You know, I was so I was actually so worried at that moment in time. And then I kept telling myself, Sarah, it's fine. People get sick when they're pregnant. It's not a big deal. Um, or, you know, we just don't know anything. And then I recovered from that illness and uh, I felt fine, but I didn't, I felt like I was recovering from an illness. I didn't feel sick like I was pregnant. And that's big because when I was pregnant with Genevieve, I was sick all the time. I was vomiting every day. I felt horrible. I did not enjoy, I didn't have a blissful, enjoyable pregnancy. So I actually commented a couple times to, to our friends, yeah, I don't, I don't feel sick. So I'm wondering if this is, maybe this is a boy or it's just a different pregnancy or what is going on? What is the mystery of why I'm not feeling sick and feeling pregnant? Um, and then about a week after that, I started having some bleeding and I have, I had a lot of friends, you know, try to reassure me this can be totally normal in um, the first trimester of a pregnancy. Try not to worry about it. Which I, is crazy that it can be so normal. Totally. But also it can mean other things. I know. And it was very light bleeding. It wasn't like clots or anything crazy. I wasn't feeling any cramping. But I, I knew, but I just knew something was off. And I rested a day and um, it sort of got better, but then it got worse. And I just kept thinking, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right to me. And at that moment, I actually was trying to look for answers. And the way that I tried to look for answers is I did um, schedule to have an ultrasound performed um, so that I could potentially have an idea of what was going on inside of my body. And my friend gave me a referral for a really kind man who comes to the house and he um, did an ultrasound and what he saw was uh, basically a sack um, and the like gestational age of that was less than where I was in my pregnancy um, and couldn't de definitively see a heartbeat. So I didn't get the, you know, reassurance I wanted either way. Well, because it could have been too early for a heartbeat. Correct. Yeah. So he, so he, you know, the, he, I of course called him with the intention of this is going to give me an answer, you know, and it didn't because it didn't say sure the baby is alive and it didn't say sure the baby is not alive. And basically this, the information he left me with, which is stuff I could have told myself, but also, you know, this is correct, is he said, well, if you keep bleeding, you're probably going to lose the baby. If the bleeding stops, the baby's probably going to be fine. Um, he was super kind and didn't charge me for the, that visit. He said, you know, why don't we just reschedule for in three weeks, two, two or three weeks, or, or let me know how you're feeling. You know, you check in with me and let me know and we can look, the baby will be older. So I thanked him. He left. And at this point in time, also, my mom was in town with her wife, and I had just told them that I was pregnant. And then, of course, the day after she arrived, I started bleeding, and we were kind of going through all of this, what is going on with me? And it, it's interesting timing. It worked out that, for, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that she was here during that time because it is 
it is different to live through that experience with somebody rather than tell them about it because there's plenty of people that I'm close with that I've never told the story to just because, hey, I don't want to have to burden you with this information if you didn't know what was happening at the time. Um, so people kept asking me while I was bleeding, are you ha experiencing any cramping? And I never was. Um, but there was a day, it was actually the last day of my mom's visit, where... I started having more, I started having blood clots. Uh, so that had changed. The bleeding was getting worse and there were some clots. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. Then I started to feel cramping in my uterus. And it was the lower <coughs> period cramping like I experienced when I just started my labor with Genevieve that very, very early labor. And you, it, you knew the feeling of labor. Correct. Yeah, it was. And then, you know, my baby was eight months old. So I had only experienced that just a short time ago. And so as soon as I started feeling those sensations, I thought, I'm losing the baby. This, this, is, this is it. Um, I'm, in la I'm in labor right now, essentially. And at this point... The sleeping situation was my daughter and I were sleeping in our room together, just her and I in our bed, and my husband was sleeping in the other room, um, and it was because the baby was having such a hard time sleeping, so it was easier for us to kind of separate at that point. Um, so it was just her and I. I put her to sleep, and I... Just finished nursing her. She was asleep on the bed. And I went to our bathroom that's in our master bedroom. And, oh man, this is so weird. <laughs> I um, went to pee before bed. I sat down on the toilet. And I, like, felt a plop. And I felt, like, something come out of me. And I just assumed it was a large clot. And then I was, of course, curious... And I looked in the toilet after, just to confirm what I thought it was, and it was not a large clot. It was actually, so the clots are super dark looking. This, this that I saw was um, a lighter colored tissue that was round. And um, I was so curious and so, I just need, I just felt like I needed to know what this was. And so I reached in the toilet and I picked it up and it was this little sack and it, I was so scared. My, my heart was racing while I was doing this. It's so weird. I'm actually feeling like I'm going back to it, just telling the story, but my heart was racing. Like I felt like I was doing something wrong or something or what I was scared of what I was going to find. Maybe it's this little sack filled with fluid and like kind of like a, a snow globe almost. Um, and I thought, oh, okay, let's just, I'm just going to see the sack. You know, that's all you're going to see. And that sort of confirms for me that, that that's that. And then I looked closer and I can't believe that I saw this still, but I know that I did. Very lightly adhered to the one edge of the sack was this little, looked like, the size of a piece of rice and it 
looked like a, a stick figure, like it looked like rice. It looked like rice with arms and legs, that small. And I knew at that moment, I, I knew that was my baby. And that was, my baby had passed away and my baby was outside of my body. And you just gave birth. And I just gave birth. And as soon as that happened, um, the cramping completely stopped. My bleeding like very quickly tapered off. And I felt a lot of peace because I was no longer living in the mystery, because I knew, okay, Sarah, this is what happened, that this baby is gone. You can start mourning. You know exactly what happened now. Yeah, because at that point you're like trying to have some hope, but also right. in fear. And it's the limbo mm -hmm. land between hope and fear. Correct. And, and then I, I, one of the, one of the biggest blessings during all of this too, for me was, um, we had had plans to spend time together the next day, you and I and our group of friends. And I wanted to do that because my, I knew my mom was going to be leaving and I wanted, we were, it was just a normal get together anyway. But I remember as soon as that happened, I got into bed and I texted our friends to say, hey, I know exactly what happened. I lost the baby. This is what I saw. And everybody was checking in. Oh, how are you feeling? Do you want to get together? Do you want us to come to your house? How do you want to do this the next day? And I knew I didn't want to be at my house. I knew that I wanted to go somewhere and I wanted to be outside. And so we gathered the next day, all of us, and I told you all my story in person. And it felt so good to tell everyone and be heard and to not, you know, I, I, I didn't feel any pressure to be any sort of way. I didn't feel any pressure to be sad and crying. I didn't feel any pressure to be happy and thriving. I could just be and enjoy the sunshine. Um, and that was, that was amazing. And I felt so good that day. I felt so good. I remember being at peace. Um, and, and that, <laughs> that lasted about a day because then I remembered, um, you know, the, I, the word, it's, it's so, it's so interesting to me that one of the hardest things about having a miscarriage is having to tell people that I had a miscarriage because I have to experience their responses to my experience. You know, it was very sad for me and very sad for my husband. And that's, that's one level of, you know, that's challenging in itself. But giving people bad news and then having to deal with their reaction to your bad news is something that I did not anticipate was going to be so hard. Um, wow. And so in that moment, you know, I had never saw this happening to myself, so I never was scared about telling people I'm pregnant or even anticip you know, anticipating any of this stuff would happen. But after that, you know, you think, oh, this is why people wait to tell people because they don't want to deal with the people checking it. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm okay. I'm not pregnant anymore. 
oh gosh, I'm so sorry. And, and you know, it's a really tough thing. No one knows what to say. Um, I was talking to my sister this morning and she told me specifically not to tell this story, but I have to tell it because I think it is, it's such a beautiful example of we just don't know what to say and we are all doing our best. My sister is my best friend. She is my safety. I know that I can be myself with her. I can, I'm my worst with her. Just like people are their worst with their mothers because I know, I know she will never leave She loves me. you regardless. She loves me and I can, I can apologize and we will always be okay. And so she's probably, she's the perfect person to say this to me because it would never damage our relationship. Nothing can. Um, this was like one of the, this was the second or third time I was talking on my, on the phone with my sister about the miscarriage. And of course she's kind of, you know, going through how sad it is and how she's sort of dealing with the, she's, you know, doesn't want me to be sad and doesn't want me to be having to deal with what I am. She and wants to take your pain away. Sure. Yeah. Because she loves you. Of course. And she's talking, talking, talking. And one of the, the thing that she says to me, that's just, it's so funny to me now. And it was so funny at the time too. She says, well, I really hope this doesn't affect you forever. <laughs> and I know in that moment, what she meant was, I hope this isn't your story. I hope that you get pregnant again. I hope that you are able to have another baby. I hope you're not sad forever. Forever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, but the, the thing is, it's so funny to me because it's like, obviously this is going to affect me forever. There's no way it couldn't affect me forever. This is a, this is an experience that I lived through and I will always remember it. I will always know it. And yes, it's sad and that's okay. But that in particular, I just think is so funny. I love telling that story. She hates it because she thinks it makes her look bad. It doesn't, it doesn't at all. It is just such a good representation of, we don't know what to say. And, and sometimes you just, you don't have to say anything. You can just listen. You can just listen um, and, and hear the story and, and be there. Um, I love that you said that because it is such a human thing to kind of feel uncomfortable. I just want you to feel better. So yeah. I'm going to try to say something to take your pain away and help you feel better. But right. we don't have that power. Right. We want to have that power, but we don't have that power over people. Right. They go through their own grief journey at their own time and pace. <sighs> we sure do. Yeah. So do you want to say the th <laughs> other part to this? So the other part to this is I experienced that loss and that was really sad. And then um, it also brought up the knowledge within myself and my husband that hey, we are really ready for another baby. We would love another baby. We would welcome another baby into our lives. And um, I am pregnant now. <laughs> and that has been a challenge too, mentally. Um, we talked, uh, you know, the, the big thing is, the big thing for me is not getting, feeling like I can't get attached because I'm worried that the baby will go away, that this baby won't be born. Um, but 
this was a few weeks ago when you're really wrestling with not wanting to emotionally attach to the pregnancy not wanting to emotionally attach to the pregnancy at all and the thing is i knew exactly when i got pregnant i knew i just i've been i've been i know exactly when this happened and i was feeling all of these changes in my body and i just kept suppressing it and and thinking okay but i'm not ready to acknowledge it i'm not ready to attach myself to it and then you and i had a really um nice conversation and you know we talked about how much regret i would have or you know anyone potentially could have if if i did lose this baby even now and i still was not acknowledging it and never took the time to acknowledge it and just quietly lost the baby i would feel so sad i would have so much regret that i never celebrated the life that that baby had as short as it is um, there's no guarantees and so we don't even know you know if this baby will be born but that really brought me into a different mindset of celebrate the moment that you have doesn't mean you have to tell everyone you know you can tell some people and of course um but it is so important that just really showed me the importance of celebrating the moment and acknowledging what's going on and and, I, and that that was such a big mind shift for me and um yeah i have tears in my eyes right now just because it feels just like every soul is worthy of that too correct and it's you don't want to emotionally attach to the baby growing in you you know for your protection protecting your heart your pain but that baby soul is there Mm-hmm. And they're there for a reason. And sometimes we don't know why and all the things, but they deserve that love. Whether they're there for seven weeks or 40 weeks and then they're born, they're there. And they deserve that attention and that love and that presence. And it really chokes me up. <laughs> it does. It yeah, does. I'm so, I'm so, so glad that you, that we talked about that and you said, those things to me because it really shifted my perspective and really made me lean into this pregnancy in a way that I was not before. Yeah. I mean, it impacted me too and I haven't even lived through it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I'm just so happy that we are able to share this for anyone because a lot of women live through this. Yeah. They have a miscarriage and they get pregnant again. It's a very common thing but so hard so mentally hard um i have one more random question of why what was your mental state this goes back to your miscarriage when you passed the sack in the toilet why didn't you go to the hospital was that a thing in your mind or was it just oh no they have nothing for me yeah that's so interesting and something that came up when i told people i had a miscarriage was oh did you go to the hospital and immediately, every time someone asked me that, I would get a little bit angry because I thought, why would I have to go to the hospital? I know what happened. I saw the baby. The baby came out. The baby's no longer inside of me. Um, so to answer your question, I know I did not go to the hospital. I never, I, because I didn't feel like I needed to. My, you know, I realized that the baby had passed away and my body was 
doing what it needed to do. And I know in some instances that doesn't happen or that happens in a delayed way. And, and so that, that is why women go to the hospital. Yeah. But, but I, some people, some people do go to the hospital at the first sign of bleeding or, yeah. you know, like oh, yes. a lot of times it's very re- reactionary. Right. And I knew, yes, I knew the hospital could not do anything to stop me from bleeding. The ultrasound I knew wouldn't save me. I thought it would potentially give me information to make me feel better. But I knew if these things were in motion, there was just, there was nothing to be done. Um, and that's okay. That happens. Um... You had to just sit in the mystery, and that's so hard. Sitting in the mystery, the hardest thing in life. <laughs> it is. It is, and it happens all during pregnancy. You don't know who this baby is, you know, know, who it's going to be. You didn't know that was Genevieve in there for nine months. All a mystery. Mm-hmm. Birth is a mystery. You don't know if birth is going to last one hour or five days. You don't know if you're going to be weak and victim. <laughs> It's all a mystery. It's all, and and even parenthood now, her sleep patterns, all the things that keep changing, it's all a mystery. And it's our resistance to mystery that causes us a lot of suffering. We, we want things to be sure and we want guarantees. We, we, it's, and I think like the more we can just try to have a little more peace with mystery, we can, you know, relax and have a little more peace with life. I think ultimately, I think, I honestly think that's kind of the point of pregnancy and birth and parenthood is like, can you kind of accept that life's a mystery? Like we're sitting here on a floating ball in space. <laughs> yeah. Can you, on a couch, but really you, we're in space. Can you sit with this? Yes. I'm, I'm so interested to see who I become in this pregnancy and in this birth. And I'm going to try to just be kind to myself and not judge myself. Um, but I am so interested. Yeah, you'll have woes me moments. Yep. We all do. That's normal. That's natural. I know, but now and now I'm a mother. Yeah. And now I'm this different. Oh, you're so different. So different. You were a maiden with Genevieve's pregnancy, and now you are a mother. In like a year, we'll have you back with that story. <laughs> Can't wait. I can't wait.